And welcome to the Food Coma Podcast, episode 11. Uh, today, I am fortunate enough to welcome guest Joel Beauchamp, who oh. I don't even know how to actually... Do you have a title? I mean, what's, what, what's your title, <sighs> really? What is my title? You know, I don't know. Maybe that's one of the great things. There's never been a specific yeah, I've heard Bon Vivant. <laughs> bon Vivant, yeah. But that's kind of, you know, it's kind of played out. I don't yeah. know, like... I, My brother tells when his friends ask what I do, he says I'm a professional enjoyer. <laughs> hey, I don't <laughs> think that anybody would ever be like, "What do you want to be when you grow up? Do you not want to be a professional enjoyer?" <laughs> right. So I, I think mean, that's yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with that. So sometimes I say that's what I do. Good. Uh, and we have known each other now probably since what 2007, I believe we no, met. What is that? Like 11 years or yeah. Well, yeah. no, 12 years. 12. Yeah, because we years. met at the uh, venison death match at my house where right. we slaughtered two deer and broke them down for 15 <laughs> chefs and had a an orgy of venison. Um, we danced on a table. That was the first time we danced on the coffee table. It's actually still uh, in the in our studio here. We have in, our, in the loading bay out back. Uh, I actually have the coffee table uh, <laughs> that has been danced on so many times. It's made of oak because as uh, as your uncle Marcellus says, oak is nice. <laughs> oak is nice. Yeah, venison death match. That was it. And I mean, that was the night. Done. Yeah. And tonight, actually, it's funny. That was, I believe, last November. Uh, tonight happens to be Halloween night itself. Yeah. Uh, and it's nice to actually be recording with you rather than normally I'd be working the door waiting for trick or treaters to come to the uh, studio. Yeah. Uh, but last year it was funny. I, I learned my lesson. I, I mean, just that part of town where the kids kind of turn the corner, you know, the silly uh, clam festival parade we have in the summertime here, right. like turns the corner right up the street, doesn't quite make it here. <laughs> Um, which I didn't realize. So last year, like I literally went to the store and I spent like 60 bucks on candy. And I'm all thinking everyone is going to, yeah, I bought all full size candy bars. Right. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Full size candy bars. And nobody's, you know, nobody's fucking around here. So I have this, I have this enormous amount of candy bars. Right. And I'm waiting and, I'm, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm like standing in the door because that would be terrifying. Uh, I'm at my desk. I'm, you know, drinking some red wine and, you know, the night's going by and I'm not getting any visitors. And I finally was just about to kind of, was just like, what is going on? And at like seven o'clock, uh, I hear some people shuffle up to the door and it was like three kids, probably like eight years old mm-hmm. and their parent, like a chaperone. And I was just like, you know what? I just, I, I gave them every last, I gave them $60 worth of candy, these three kids. <laughs> I took each of their bags and I filled them to the top with like full candy bars. And the looks on the kids' faces, they were like, ah, and I was like, it's your lucky day. And the parents were, even they beyond the trick or treat, they're like, kids, what do you say? Yeah. <laughs> like, thank you. <laughs> and so I did that. And then I, I tried to shut the front light off and I went. And that was it. Drank yeah. in my bedroom. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so this year, I'm. It's it's all dark out front. Uh, so it's going to be great because probably for the next few years, these kids are going to come back to this house. Yeah. They're going to be like, oh my god, this house is amazing at Halloween, and it's never going to happen again. Right. And they're going to start questioning whether they were going insane, and they'll have <laughs> to talk to their parents 
And who have to will confirm the story, and it'll be this like you know legend of the Candyman, right. and people will stop believing it. They'll be like, "Yeah, that never happened." You didn't get that like, much candy. Yeah. yeah, they'll swear, and they'll try to bring the kids over to show them. Yeah, and they'll be like, "There's nobody here. Like you're crazy. <laughs> that never happened to you." So I, I hope I hope I started some manner of uh, urban myth. Oh, I love uh, it. urban with, legend. Because I I don't really I don't really like children and I don't want <laughs> children ever in my life. But I did want to be remembered by yeah. children, so it's nice you to know. Got a legacy. That's now. my legacy with those three <laughs> trick or treaters. That one faded Halloween 2018. Oh my god! Um, so that was delightful. But anyway, yeah, tonight we're. Um, I have opted to spend the the evening with you rather yes. than sit by the door waiting for children uh, in costumes to come visit me so I can give them candy. Yeah. Uh, Halloween is just not on my radar this year at all. Well, it's funny. You used to have your house yeah. back in the day oh my God. on Halloween. Huge parties. Was a huge party. Yeah. Every year. It was insane. And it actually got to the point the last time you had the party... We actually, it was just the people on the second floor were the people you actually knew. Right. And the whole first floor was just packed, a sea of people that I had you no had idea who they no were. No idea who they were. People were just coming on, in off the street. Yeah. Like, probably, it was, what night was it? Like, it was probably a Bubba's uh, got out and everyone uh, just, like, flooded Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I remember going there. That was when I was, like, sketchy Jay Leno. You know when you, like, yeah. put a bunch of stuff on, then you decide what you are based on your costume right, after right. the fact? I was like, I look like a very sketchy version of, of Jay Leno. And then I immediately spilled like a whole bottle of red wine down the front of myself. Yeah. Uh, which really went with the whole look. Yeah. I it was, it was like drunk mafioso. Like, you know, that's my story of my life. That's right. what I've, as far back as I could remember, <laughs> I've always wanted to be a gangster. And that's, you know, that's <laughs> eighth grade me talking again. Uh, now, you and I have, uh, we have a, a, a uh, what I would call a rich and varied career together. Yes. <laughs> um, that almost came to fruition professionally one time uh, in life. And this was in 2014. Joel and I decided that the best thing for us to do would be to open a, a nightclub in uh, Portland, Maine. Oh, yes. Uh, that we called, we were going to call... Uh, Nero, which yeah. that, I think that was an amazing name, and I you well, know, I, I still have it as my it's my it's my email. <laughs> it's Joel I is it. Nero, it's like yeah. my it's my email. Now. I love that it's still your email. It's still my email. <laughs> I haven't got a, I haven't got a better one since then. I never I never ended up uh, changing my email over uh, for that. Our plan was essentially to do this like nightclub that was sort of like had a feel almost like the same club that's in the first Terminator movie from the 80s yes with like the kind of like dark neon cross with like that yep. club in in Twin Peaks oh uh, yeah uh, the, the the oh what was it with the flashing light yeah, yeah it was yeah, like the yeah. same one that they had the Nine Inch Nails in the second yeah or the, the newer season yep. of it and yeah we were gonna call it Nero and it was basically we were gonna serve like French wine. Uh, I wanted to make sure that all of the bathrooms had like mirror shelves in all the stalls oh, yeah. and decadence. <laughs> just decadence, you know, industrial decadence. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's exactly what it was going to be. <laughs> and I think that, you know, Portland, it, it would have been what Portland could definitely have, have used at the time and could still use. But yes. I don't know about us personally. And I think it was definitely reflected in our very first, uh, quote unquote, business meeting that we had. Um <laughs> Joel came over. This is when we first decided we were, we were going to have a business women's lunch. Uh, he came <laughs> over to my house at like, I don't know, 1030 right. in the morning or something. And 
I made made some lunch and we were going to talk about, you know, the nightclub and, yeah. and getting this off the ground. And we had a backer and it was going to be a thing. And, yep. and so we we came up, I think we came up with a name and basically just said pretty much the extent of what I just said. Right. And we're like, well, that was okay. We're like, Phew. that was quite the meeting. So I went and got like, you know, six bottles of wine. Right. And I was like, well, because we're celebrating this club, I should get really expensive wine. Yeah, like the kind of wine that we might have on the high end of That's, the menu. It was know? definitely on the higher end, <laughs> we'll put it that way. Uh, so we pretty much drank all day. And then at one point, it was getting towards dinner time. We, we, we ate at like 11, and it was getting towards like 7 o'clock. And I was like, well, should I should we think about dinner or whatever? Or what should we do? And, uh, and then we were both kind of like, or, you know, we could get some blow. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Joel was like, babe, here's the thing. I have a plan. This is okay. We just get like a few grams. No big deal, right? A couple lines, a few drinks, whatever. In bed by midnight, done. <laughs> and I was like, you in know what? That sounds midnight. Yeah, just like gentlemen, you, you know, know, just get a few baggies. Believable and reasonable at yeah. the time. I, I, I felt like it was a very reasonable plan yeah. at the time. I was like, that gives us hours, <sighs> hours, there's hours to do yeah, drink. Well, and you know what? We'll just we're be exhausted. Yeah. Man. <laughs> After a few hours of that, we'll just we won't be wanting to keep going at all. No, we're we'll just going on a call it a night. Yeah, because we said we would. Yeah, babe, rip an ambient call it. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, uh, not surprisingly, uh, the rest of that night went a lot like our nightclub concept, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> essentially, yeah. where uh, it involves, uh, I think, it, something like two in the one thirty in the morning, Joel kind of platoon style carrying me home <laughs> oh, to God. my house. And then I'm not sure how he got home. <laughs> uh, but that's how that kind of went. Uh, uh, business there. meeting. It was a business meeting. You know, I feel like if that place had become a reality, we would be dead. I want to say that. Or, but you I know. feel like people like we, whenever you say things like that, it's like, yeah, we probably the more wouldn't. excessive and decadent you are, like it's almost like you're not lucky enough to die, right? Like something will happen to you health wise, so you'll be miserable, but right. you'll be alive to your 90. Yeah, it's the really healthy people who say no all the time and, and avoid temptation that's true that get hit by a bus or they, yeah. you know, they happen we, to, uh, you know, I think we just had no idea what we were doing. I think we did know what we were doing, though. Well, uh, I think that it was just, it was. We allowed it to kind of peter out. It petered out because of the whole, like, actually having to find a space yeah. and deal with the administrative process. The, the timing the bureaucracy was not good. Of that. Yeah. yeah. The timing uh, was not good. It wasn't. But it would have been amazing. Now, and that space in the time and temperature building yeah. would have been incredible. We had this the space annex. that was like the annex of an old, old movie theater, actually a place where, uh, um, was it Houdini performed yes, at this theater? It was like old school Portland, like a serious, pretty old school. Yeah. A serious, a serious place though. Like crazy. Yeah. And it was like the entrance was down an alley. Oh, it would have been know. so good. And down an alley. With down a, an alley. With a neon sign, you right. know. Like, and rrr. none of that speakeasy bullshit, because that's not no. what we were up to. Nothing. No secrets. No secrets. Just you got to walk down the alley to come in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so instead, I mean, so Joel and I, um, rather than going to business together, I have had over the years several different decadence-fueled web series Mm. Uh, and Joel, you've been on every single one. Uh, I have, I, I yes, have every have. single one. Yeah, you have been actually the co-host on <laughs> Food Coma TV, which was the one that we started in 2011 and 12. Actually, I'd started it 
uh, without Joel, but had Joel on the third episode as a guest and immediately we made a unanimous decision that Joel was going to be a permanent fixture on the show. <laughs> but yeah, being on the road. Yes. You know, I thought I thought we we handled it pretty well. I loved it. I mean, I have fond memories when I do have memories of yeah. that time. But uh yeah, it was it was uh it was fun the further away we went to the like I really loved Fort Kent. And you did love Fort Kent. I mean, you know. <laughs> if you've I seen the Fort Kent episode, <laughs> that's one story we don't have to go into because I don't think Joel remembers it well enough to tell the story. I mean, he no. probably does, but we're not going to. You can you can watch the video. You, yeah, watch the uh, St. John's Valley episode of Fort Luckily, there was TV. a film crew there. Yeah, it's the, the best thing is if you're going to do a lot of sketchy, embarrassing things, it's always good to have a film crew along. <laughs> Uh, to make sure they uh, capture that magic. Yeah. But yeah, Fukuoka TV, it was interesting. Like, you know, you go to the whole point of, of that sh- of that show was to showcase the main that is outside of the sort of tourist radar, the right. Portland's Kennebunkport, uh, Camden, Bar Harbor, etc. So we go to like Lewiston, Maine, Sanford, Maine, Sanford. you know, the, the county, uh, yeah. Eastport, Hollowell, Kittery, right. you know. Yeah. Essentially off the off the path. And most of the time, uh people were really excited to have us. Yeah. Uh but there was that one time in Sanford at the very end. And we went to that place. To oh my god. The, <laughs> the French connection. The French connection. <laughs> not to be confused with the clothing store. Not to be confused with anything having or to do with France. Not, not to be confused <laughs> with a restaurant. With a restaurant or anything having to do. So oh, we French, we sort of we get this um the French connection there isn't one there really, yeah basically if you're it should be the French connection question mark should be the name of the restaurant so we were at like I think we were drinking beer and filming at a bowl at the bowling alley there the Christian bowling alley at uh, like 10 a.m. yeah and Christian on the thing. Facebook page uh, we had got this message from someone who found out that we were going to be in the area filming and they were like we'd really love it if. You'd come by our restaurant. We'd love to host you guys at the end of the day. And this is also when we learned the value of you can say no. Yeah. You don't always have to say yes. Even like people someone, really, yeah. someone else wants to have us and they're going to yeah. give us free shit. No, we have to. And it wasn't even about free shit. They just no. were so excited. Yeah. You know, like free shit. I don't care about free yeah. shit. I could. I am much happier paying for something I want uh, than getting the, something I don't want for free. <laughs> yeah. we'll, get, we'll get to the menu. Well, yes, we will. So uh, <laughs> we show up at this place after a day of just so much eating that was also before we learned the lesson about like not finishing the food we were served because oh, yeah. we felt bad like yeah. there's no feeling bad if they're going to send out 15 things yeah then a lot of it's going to not be eaten you just try it yeah and we did we had done car bombs and oh yeah <laughs> no, we drank we drank plenty and so this is at the end of a, a day that started very early and we, we stopped at this place and we told this guy who owned the place literally we were like you know uh we we're not we don't want some crazy thing, yeah. you know, we're happy to be here, check a couple of things out, but you know, like whatever, it's just give us the really basic thing. Yeah. And he just started like sending out food, but it was, but it was garbage food on top of that. It was like bad. literally this, these platters. I remember there was like Triscuits, Triscuits were on an, in a, a, like a, in a pasta. I don't even know if he used the word in a pasta, but it was like Havarti dill. Yeah. But he called Triscuits. it like Alfredo or something. It was you know, like, there was a, there was some other dish that had Alfredo sauce in some way that we were like, <sighs> what? Oh, it was so weird and it was bad. bad. It was bad. And like, and I remember there was like, yeah, and like the presentation, they were really like trying, it was like a crudite plate. 
uh, with triscuits and and yeah, yeah. And he's like stern like sternos it was like a warming thing under the it was just yes. bizarre oh that's Remember that? right yeah, yeah. And everybody ditched me and uh so yeah, i'm just I, sitting I, at the bar because I, I had a bottle of wine at least yeah and then and he was all like, the kids who were working there, like you could tell that they were like, they, they were like embarrassed. Yeah, they were like, we don't know, we don't, we don't know this guy. Yeah. We just our parents told us we had to get a job <laughs> yeah. this summer. <laughs> yeah, and we're, uh, that's why we're here. Yeah, and so at one point he's like, yeah, our local piglet or something, and he handed me this like ham and cheese grilled grilled cheese sandwich. And oh I was like, God. what is this? And I'm like, I finally, I was like, why is this place called the French Connection? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, my wife is French. I was like, <laughs> okay. Does your wife work here? <laughs> no, what? <laughs> oh, oh, my God. My so God. then, yeah, I remember we left that place. And, and I remember being like, I, I don't know if it was me or Alex. I said, I aggressively hate that place. Yeah. And then we we actually tried to be nice about it. Like, we cut it out of the episode. Yeah. Um, and we 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 sent like a nice letter, being like, you know, we just didn't have time. There was like a lot of things. Yeah. And the guy came back at us. Yeah, he was pissed. And was like, what the hell? Like I gave you blah 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 blah. And then I we gave were like, a bunch of free pre package. <laughs> yeah. And so shit. the our response was much more honest. It was right. like, listen, we thought your restaurant sucks. Yeah. And everything was bad. And this and that. We just kind of unloaded. Yeah. And he's like, you guys are punks. <laughs> like <laughs> punks. this and that. Oh. And then he closed like a year later. I'm yeah. surprised he even made it that long. Did he even, I mean, I I, know. You know, it also, was it a hobby business? Did he like, did yeah. he get a, did he have a windfall and was like, I'm putting it into the, my dream. Right. Well, anytime you, so it's almost like, it almost like confirms anytime you ever watch like Kitchen Nightmares. Yeah. We're like, no restaurant could be that bad. Yeah. Oh And my then God. you're like, oh, yeah, wow, can. there are restaurants that are really that so stupid. Bad. It's not even yeah. bad. It's like, this restaurant is stupid. Right. Like, why are we playing restaurant here? Yeah. That place was really dumb, uh, but it made for a good story afterwards. Yeah. I think for the most part, <laughs> yeah, it was, there was always adventures on the road. Um, I loved it. I loved being on the road. Yeah, I remember Eastport was a long one. Yeah, we had we to were there for a few days, and you learn a lot about like maybe it's not idea, not a great idea when you're filming for an entire weekend to not be sober for more than five minutes, right? Of it. Yeah. Because it's not really an enjoyable. People always think that you're like, oh, this is like, you know, I talk about on the few episodes before, I talk about how you, know, you and I are both actually currently not drinking. Yeah. I think this is a great example, like the Eastport weekend when we were shooting, like I brought like a bottle of Rumpelman's and two yeah. bottles of tequila and just kind of nipped off them the whole time, never right. really. And it's like people are always like, oh, you're partying, like having a great time. And it's like, actually, no, this is destroying my insides. Right. I feel like my eyeballs are going to bleed. Yep. <laughs> like, it's like that movie Speed. <laughs> it's like if right. the bus drops below a certain, <laughs> right. you know, speed, I'm going to blow up. If, so right. I have if to you, keep going. If, if you <laughs> drop below a level of sobriety. Yeah, I'm going to explode. Yeah. And it was funny. They're shooting an interview with me. And at one point they were just like, Joe, you look like such a mess right now. <laughs> and like five minutes later, I just took a huge haul off the bottle of Cazadores and I yep. just barfed and then took three more hauls and kept going. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, whatever. This yep. is how we're going to do it. And we're going to try not to have it, you know, at least at that point it was 2012. So it makes a pretty big difference seven years on the constitution yeah 
You Definitely. Know? I was pushing. Even then, I felt like I was an old man. I felt like, I'm like, geez, I've been drinking a long time. Right. Well, you know what? I feel like that was kind of why the first iteration of Food Coma was, it had some sort of magnetism that the, yes. the final one did not have. Did not have, you know, right. That was it was just hard. Sort of, yeah, but that first one, it was almost like you could feel the like electricity of the mess. Yes. You know, you could feel Well, because that. we actually were much more of a mess. I mean, I yeah. may have been a total drunk still during the final incarnation of the sure. show. But I think that what who we were then just and I think it was an experiment on all of our parts. Yes. Like we had a great time doing it. It was actually really fun yeah. to shoot it, but I just don't think necessarily who we were w- would be framed by right. Fukuoma TV. <laughs> At that point, yep. and have it be compared to the first two seasons. Right. Um, however, there were many moments that I thought were amazing oh, yeah. <laughs> during that season. So, yeah, there was that. And then because my web series run went from about 2011 until 2014. And the third show was called the second show was called the Fukuoma show. Yep. And then we contained you in that one because we bring it into the restaurant. Right. We shot two of those, one at Bresca. But then after the rest. <laughs> right. I'd like run all off bets and, were off. Yeah. You know, but oh. no, no. When you ran off, though, was actually the, the third the series, Boston. which was off the off wagon. The wagon. Um, Joel had <laughs> come down to Boston. This is when I was living in Boston um, and we were shooting. Uh, it was yet another show, same vein, you know, yeah. just sort of celebrating the excess. And it was like, it was this, the, this like Irish bar and steakhouse episode in Boston, because that's kind of what Boston's made up of. And so we which just is, like, which in retrospect was like not the episode for me, probably. No, it was not the episode <laughs> for you. I don't think it was even the episode for me. No. I, I literally, so I, throughout this shoot, I actually had. I mean, like two bottles of wine. I think I literally had crossed over 24 shots of whiskey and probably like nine Guinness at one point in one day. And I I somehow I woke up in my bed. We were rolling rolling around, not driving, but we were being driven around in a limo that used to be owned by uh, Hulk Hogan. I I remember it had like hardwood floors in the limo. Yeah, I barely even (laughs) remember the limo. Yeah. And so we go to Smith and Walensky, I remember, was the beginning of this episode. And we had like literally like the corporate chef and everything had showed up. Like it was like a big deal for them. Like they had like the kind of the coal company, like the bigwigs were there uh, and ended up going out drinking with us after. And we went to this Irish bar called Mr. Dooley's in Boston, oh boy. where the owner, uh, John, who was the one who also commissioned the limo. And he's he is just like the ultimate enabler of, yeah. of fun, <laughs> of at least, you know, he's tr- it, you think it's fun. And then all of a sudden it's just things go too far. And yeah. And so Joel, at this point, <laughs> uh, during this episode, after his like 17th shot of whiskey or whatever, uh, he uh, decides, uh, I mean, there's a little bit of ruckus that ensues in the bar that we don't have to go into. Right. Joel um, going to each table and greeting them in his own special way. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then at one point, Joel just sort of took off running uh, yeah. down <clears throat> in the streets of downtown Boston. And and, and I, I didn't see him again till till 5 a.m. Yeah, and I had if you have a film crew with you, and like we're like we're not going to uh, run after you, Joel. And you're like a gazelle, yeah, because oh, you're I, like tall. And I, knew, and and I lived in Boston for years, so I know I knew my way around and yeah. just took off. Now, what happened to you that night? Well, like uh, <laughs> I unfortunately, you have an address that there's <laughs> so like at the address, time there were like two addresses that were would always get Fell's Way. Yes, yeah, and so I went to the wrong one. And it was some Dunkin' Donuts in some part of like Wobbin or it was Medford, I think. Medford, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was just uh that was nothing was happening at that time of night. 
And I think Melinda had to come. She yeah. had to like ride her bike through like the worst neighborhood. This is my girlfriend slash roommate. Pop the tire. <laughs> and she had to come get me and bring me back to the apartment. Yeah. It was pretty rough. I um, woke up being like, oh my God, what happened to Joel? I had to peek my head out of my room. He was on the couch. That, like I ended up in situations like that. And it's like, how has nothing. Yeah. That's when you learn me? that you don't keep up <laughs> with me yeah. drink for drink, even yeah. though it's fun to do so. Um, it often ends in disaster. Yeah. I think my favorite part of that night when you were lost in Boston is how you called our friend Jess and we're needing her to come get you. Oh, yeah. And she I was, was like literally like in her car. Yeah. And she, like, she thought downtown. you were in downtown I kept Portland. I'm downtown. <laughs> yeah, she's like, "Where are you?" And you're like, oh, "I'm downtown. <laughs> please come get me, please." And she's like, "Wait, are you in Boston?" Yeah, she's like, "I'm <laughs> driving around downtown Portland. Where are you?" And I was like, "She was like, wait, are you in Boston?" Yeah, she was not happy. <sighs> See that this is the glamorous part, and it's crazy being a, a you know? web series superstar. <laughs> Oh my god, that was amazing! Uh, and yeah. that, I think I think at that point you were I mean, you had been... ever needed a reason to like if I was actually fighting with the idea of drinking again and like oh if I was like I mean all I'd have to do is watch some of that stuff yeah. and it's just like whoa yeah you know? it is it's it's really it's interesting I think that uh, you bring that up because everybody seems to think it's a great idea to do a show They're like oh. You guys, like, people should just, you know, be, like, you know, less restrained, you know, like, really get drunk, like, yeah. no holds barred. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, you know how painful it is to watch yourself Ugh. really drunk? And you yeah. know how not entertaining it is for yeah. anybody <laughs> trying to watch it? Yeah. Your timing is off. All your stories take, like, five minutes to set up. Yeah. <laughs> and they're only funny to the people, like, a, to your a, right and left. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> scene, you know, <laughs> uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't translate mm. well at all. And uh, yeah, I, th I think we learned someday we'll just, we're going to do a, a new web series and we're just going to sit and have tea together. Yeah. Um, or we can just do this. We can just record. Yeah. This is much better because when you do video, you're limited to the time of the show. You know, if you're doing a 12 right. minute webisode, you know, you can't really have scenes if they take more than like 45 seconds. Right. Things have to, to be admitted. distilled down into right. this. And yep. in which case you lose a lot of the context. Yeah. I think just inevitably, like you can't help but lose it, um, especially when you're trying to film real life, which right. doesn't happen in snippets. Right. For a web it unfolds the way it does. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I'm like feeling like I like telling the stories and they all involve bad things happening to you. Um, because <laughs> I, I have another one coming. Yeah, no. And uh, but then in the uh, later on, we're going to talk about all the good things uh, that happened to yes. you. We're going to set it up with the bad things. I feel like it's a good way to set the stage. Yeah, I feel. You know, Joel think... wasn't fucking around. I yeah. think is the way to, to I was put it. On a collision course, we, with yeah, destruction. It's just kind of what happens. And that's mm -hmm. why when Joel and I come together and the cameras are rolling, uh, it's one thing. And when they aren't rolling, this happens. We uh, we decided in 2011 to go to France together yes. uh, for yeah. like 10 oh, yes. days. So we were going to go. Uh, essentially, it started by it started with me seeing this uh, three day metal festival called Hellfest. Yeah, it started with Opeth. Yes, because, that's right. I'm like, yeah. you want to go see Opeth in France with me? And he's like, absolutely. Let's <laughs> yeah, go do that. And then I was like, like, that was like February and it was in June. Yeah. 
but this is like you know 120 bands i was like ozzy scorpions rob zombie judas priest, judas priest. i mean the cults bad brains bad brains yeah, yeah. Like, uh mr big you know it was kind of an amazing uh, thing on paper Doro. <laughs> um so the, so that was the you know the sort of the the impetus for this trip to france and then i was working in the wine business at the time so i'm like oh for the first week we'll go hang out in champagne in the loire valley we'll visit these like wineries and winemakers who i work with and it'll be this whole thing and then we'll go finish it up with a bunch of metal at the end yeah i mean perfect yeah i think that was pretty amazing yeah now this is the trip that almost didn't happen however (laughs) because the day that we departed for for france um joel much like myself so you don't love to fly, right? I don't like flying. No, I don't mind flying. You just like to have a Valium. Yeah, but I just, I prefer for like a long flight to just sleep. Right. And that the benzos usually, especially right. we, we were drinking a lot the day before the, the flight. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I had like. I might had, have been hungover and a little anxious about flying because yeah, I was hungover. I'm always anxious about flying. Yeah. And the international terminal at Logan, all they had was that bad Irish place with a really cheap. Uh, with that horrible red wine. Horrible red wine. So yeah. I had some. Um, Clonopin, that, uh, that, you know, just little one milligrams. And Joel uh, Joel had forgotten to get any kind of uh, assistance for his anxiety on the flight. So I was like, oh, here. I gave him like three of them, assuming that, you know, he knew kind of that the dosage on these, you know, or just the nature of this was a lot different than taking Ativan or right. Valium or, or Valium. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, that there, these are a little bit stronger. Right. <laughs> and so don't take more than one don't basically. take more than one especially, especially if you're, if you're drinking. drinking yes yeah. so you know that we're on the flight and i i can't ever sleep on planes no matter how much uh i drink i it actually was an overnight flight right it was an overnight yeah. flight and i mean i've like drank planes out of like heineken before you know like, right. i can't drink enough on a plane and right. still not sleep it's the worst yeah because uh, i hate flying that much but so i'm like sitting there and Doing my thing. And at one point, like halfway through the fight, I look over and, and Joel had kind of stopped responding to me. Yeah. And he was just kind of, he started saying weird stuff. They weren't, wasn't really making any sense. It like wasn't like, it was just bit, you were nonsensical. Like, hmm. Yeah. You right. started rambling. And I was like, sad, okay. Uh, 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 I was like, well, I've never, you know, flown with Joel before. Maybe this maybe is just he just what shuts happens. Down to, and, just yeah. shuts it. This is part of his powering down process right. is speaking gibberish noises. Uh. <laughs> and, uh, so then Joel's out. We don't hear from him for the rest of the flight where we land. Finally. Uh, I, I just remember like just, it taking every ounce of energy not to throw up while we were like waiting to deboard yes. the plane. You were it, like after a certain point, I couldn't get up and get to the bathroom because people were up and yeah. you know, but I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be sick. And yeah. I mean And you were pale white. Like yeah. you like all the color had drained from your face. Yeah. I was I mean and yeah. we had this like car service to pick us up and we we're gonna we we're staying at this hotel that was like designed by like Christian Lacroix yep. and this is of course the only hotel that Joel had booked. I had handled the rest of the accommodation. So of mm-hmm. course the responsibility. But as we we're gonna have to plane, I was asking him, you know, what was going on, and apparently he had taken all three of the pills. Yeah. 
And basically, two, but the third one because he needed his contact case. Yeah, I needed to take my contacts out, and I, the pill was in my empty contact. So and I was like, to, well, I guess I have to take this. Yeah, I got to empty that out. You, you know, you take can't, this you know, pill. <laughs> it's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then, so for the rest of the first day, you just oh kind of God. stared off into nothingness. Yeah, well, the guy's like, the Arc de Triomphe. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> like, I was like, please just get me out of this car. I mean, was it just a straight shot from the airport yes. to the hotel? Yeah. Yes. And then and where you were, you were. They asked for your passport yeah, when you're trying to check us in. And I was like, "My what?" <laughs> and I see. I look over, and Joel's just like touching him. So he's like yeah, patting himself, like, as if I went even yeah. wearing anything in his pockets. In it. Yeah. And I look over, and his passport is like hanging out of his back pocket. God. And I'm like, even... uh, "Joel, you looking for your passport? How did I? Yes. Yes, yeah. I am. Thank yes. you. Thank Very you. Much. And then, yeah, remember that there was a lady that he had a tote bag with a picture of a puppy on it obviously oh God, and this lady was like oh, i like your bag and she's yeah. like my bag this <laughs> bag this one yeah, i got this bag and i got it in portland in portland portland maine portland yeah. maine united states yes. portland oh maine God. and i'm like all right we gotta get this guy out of yeah, here he's he's like, losing he is it. not doing a good job yeah talking and, to people yeah but i knew at that point at least you yeah. weren't gonna die yeah and i and i remember i you know i laid down for a little bit then we went out and I remember I had a niçoise salad. Yes. And, and kind I kind of came back to life. Steak frites. Yeah. And we had that lovely night at that like cafe place. Yes, we did. It was, it was like, all good. Yeah. Then yeah. everything worked itself out. I think so and then great. the French trip was amazing. Yeah. One uh, night know, in Paris. And it, it was, was great. <laughs> That's right. That's all we needed. And then yeah. we were off to Champagne, uh, which is another long story. But I think uh, that Hellfest, I learned at Hellfest that I am not a three-day <clears throat> music festival person. I yeah, skipped day and, and two. Honestly, that was the last festival thing I ever went to. And I now am like, people are like, let's go. And I'm like, no. No. You know what? No. Like, I'm not even gonna go to an all-day, one day no. festival. I'm all set. No. -uh. I, I don't care. Yeah, and the music doesn't even a sound good at an outdoor yeah. festival compared to like going to a show at night. Yeah, exactly. If and that's just a. I and mean, it's, there's and it's so an endurance things. thing too. It's just it's a lot of like it's a lot of porta potty, and it's just exhausting because you don't have anywhere where you can like sit and like chill out and like <laughs> recharge. You just gotta like go stand over in this field and like. You can't. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's exhausting. It is. It's the worst. <laughs> There's no place to relax. I mean, I made it through. I mean, it's not days. the fire festival or anything, yeah. but I mean, you know, there were. It was thought through, but it was thought through. But at a certain point, the porta potties are full, and people are just like peeing in the like vineyards. And and I will say that if anybody has drank any Muscadet from the 2011 vintage, mm. the Viking urine definitely yeah. has in well, impacted yeah. that wine because there's a 80,000 Vikings tasting, urinating in the vineyards for the, yeah, four that. days. I wish we had had a camera crew then. Yes, that I do been too. Great. The only problem with having a camera crew is how much attention it draws. Right. You know what would be great is if we had like a floating orb camera that just <laughs> kind of was, yeah. you know. Yeah. It wasn't and GoPros yeah. on our glasses like those porn movies yeah, where they yeah, have yeah. the spy glasses, yeah. you know. That, that would have been fine. That would have been good. Yeah. Then we, we could have tracked. don't need a producer. <laughs> no, I'll tell you that much. We could have, we could have tracked the arc <laughs> of my use of the French language throughout yes. the week. The rise and fall the rise of my and ability fall. to speak French. I, I, I think my, my, my moment of greatest clarity with the French language was when we had been drinking from that bottle. 
The absinthe uh, bottle. The absinthe bottle. Yes. I didn't drink that much. We drank the majority <laughs> of it. But I drank just enough to suddenly become fairly fluent in French. And yeah, like, and you killed it. You got I'm, us back to the hotel. I like, got us back to Joel that and I, I the place. only mess up I had made on accommodations was this hotel outside of um, uh, Tours. Tours. And it was sort of like an Ikea like hotel. It looked fine online, but it really wasn't anything like any other places we stayed. So we literally walked in and we're like, fuck this place. And we went and got another room in tours and just used mm-hmm. it as like our closet, the right. old room. We'll just store of storage. Our stuff. Yeah, yeah, we'll leave our stuff here. We'll go in town and get a real hotel room. <laughs> uh, and so we did that. We went to this restaurant that we liked so much that we ended up going the second night in a row. Uh, and where I had this rapport, apparently, with the owner, uh, who we nicknamed Kesha, uh, yeah. because her name didn't have any vowels in it. Yeah, it was something. <laughs> it was but like we Kirk- just, we were like, Kara, or, and we were like, Kesha. Kesha. Great. Done. Because, yeah. you know, we love Kesha. Yeah, we, 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 did, we were on a big Kesha kick. We were. 2011. Yeah. Uh, mind you. Yeah. And none, so, you know. you know, it's not like now. No. Like country well, Kesha. She has, a, yeah, she has a new song that's <laughs> a little country-ish. Uh, they're all country-ish now. Yeah. I don't, I don't now, know. but it's more country-ish like the Pitbull song she did. You know, it's that. It's like country dance. Ew. Yeah, no, I know it's gross. <laughs> it is gross. I don't. Although I do find myself singing along to that Kesha Pitbull song at weddings. Yeah, well, I also know the lyrics to that stupid Cheryl Crow and Kid Rock song, but it doesn't mean it's uh, a good song. But I know okay. the friggin' lyrics. You know what? Fuck Kid Rock, first yeah. of all. <laughs> yeah, fuck Kid Rock. Because oh. now he's like this whole. His whole like new Republican yeah. persona, oh which I actually haven't heard much of since that one picture was taken. Yeah, of him. I, I, I bet everybody's like, "Hey, let Kanye do all this stuff." Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. only one of you needs to act <laughs> the fool here. Right, right. Well, let Kanye do it. Kanye's He's gonna do it, it better. We don't really need to. Yeah, to delve into his career. Let's you know, what's not. funny though about you know the the, the times I was thinking about uh, lately. People have been complaining a lot about. A lot of the old restaurants are closing and yeah. and people or, or other restaurants are being reopened and people are like, oh, it's just not the same. It doesn't recapture. Blah, blah, blah. And I just want to be like, you know what? You're full of shit. Of course, it's not the same. Like if you went to a restaurant in 1999, you went to that restaurant while there was 90s culture. There was 90s, 1999 right. music. There were people from 1999 right. there. They were dressed like 1999. Right. Like, it wasn't just the restaurant that created that experience. Right. It was, like, it was the whole package. It you was can't the time. recreate the time. You can't turn back time. Right. You know, and everybody, they, they still like, oh, it's just not the same as it used to be. I miss the way it was. Well, it's like, you know what? So don't I. Yeah. I wish I could go back to when I was 15, knowing what I know now. Yeah. <laughs> and try sure. oh do God. it again. Hindsight. Yeah. yeah. But people, it's just like, you know, unless you continue to serve a very specific function, like in Portland here, DeMillo's, the floating restaurant, where right. you're a boat. Right. Um, you know, trying to blame a city for a restaurant going out of business right. i was like trying to blame the city for letting like a blockbuster video go out of business yeah it's just it's time it's it's of the times and it's over yep. now you know yep people fetishize nostalgia they do yeah. and i and i am very guilty of that sure um as you know we're gonna well everyone's nostalgic about a different sort of thing too you know 
not all our nostalgia. We don't have like a shared nostalgia. <laughs> some people have some, some people do. Some people have traumatic people. nostalgia. <laughs> Want to make America great again? And some yeah. people just have this. Yeah. Some people don't remember what that means. They're like, "Where was it great?" Yeah. <laughs> but we want to make it great again. What was it like when it was great? I don't know. When was that? I don't know. You tell me. Oh my it's God. your thing. You tell me. When was that? 1944. Okay. <laughs> Let's make it like that again. Let's, uh, oh yeah, great. Because everything was perfect. In 1944, yeah. you know. If you're like me and you enjoy fantastic coffee, and Joel as well, kind mm -hmm. of a coffee nerd, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, when was that transition you kind of. What, what, what do you mean? When I first. Became... When you first start noticing coffee? In high school, I would say. Uh, going to like the 24 hour truck stop diner that was the place to hang out, you know, in, when I was in. And where high did you grow age. up? Farm, like Farmington, Maine area. Okay. You yeah. know, Wilton Weld specifically. But um, so, and I would just drink it black, like, you know, just like the coffee maker coffee, that shitty diner coffee. Right. And so that was sort of the ubiquitous, it was coffee is coffee. Yeah. And so, it was like, you know, when it was a way to stay up all night, you, we'd, you know, it was open 24 hours. So we'd st we'd just sit there, you know, I'm sure the waitresses loved. That. Oh, they love like, that. They love it so when, much money yeah. off these assholes. Yeah, they love it when kids just sit, sit for there. Like seven yeah. hours. Yeah. But, Taking uh, the occasional <laughs> trip to the bathroom to yeah. to do some blow or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but when but, was the first time we actually really started noticing that coffee didn't, that it tasted different. It wasn't just coffee is coffee. When I moved to Boston, when I when I went to college, yeah. my brief college career, I remember going to Espresso Royale or like, and having like, you know, and I mean, in retrospect, that probably wasn't that great a coffee, but at the time, but it, it takes better. it up a notch, right? Yeah, it takes it up a notch, but, but I also lived with people who were like diehard Dunkin' Donuts, cream and sugar, like, which, right. which to me, you know, was a thing. Especially and I if look you're back in on it. Yeah. And when you're in Boston and when I was with people, yeah, let's all stop and get one. And so I would, but I didn't, on yeah. the regular, I wouldn't. Dunkin' Donuts is wretched. I didn't, yeah. And the cream and sugar thing, there's such a massive amount of it in there. Oh, like, like a regular coffee. Dunkin' yeah. Donuts is like what, five sugars like and five cream of sugar. Yeah. For fuck's sake. Because they a have to mask the flavor completely. Yeah. It can't I mean, be any like brown water. Could, it you know, came from a gutter. I don't dirty know. Dirty bean water. It's disgusting. Um, but, you know, but I, I never really got serious about coffee probably until working at uh, Standard. Right. And it was sort of my introduction to cold brew, which is still what I prefer to drink when I drink coffee. Yeah, it's a really good way to kind of concentrate the flavor. Yeah. And, I, and think... I mean, st standard, we were doing cold brew only in the summer from like Memorial Day to Labor Day, you know. Yeah. But we would make it like the old school way. Like the whole drip, like No, stove. no, we'd put it in like a brew bucket in like a five gallon bucket and just soak it for six hours and then pull it out and use that as the iced coffee. All right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> nice. I was just like- I think that's the way to do it. That was the old school way to do it before you had the big glass. Before you had like, to go to Starbucks and choose between four different kinds of iced right. coffee with sweet cream well, on it's top. so funny. I remember going on- uh, Or not iced coffee, road, cold brew. You know, when I would be on the road, on road trips, you'd have to, you could never get cold brew unless you were in some 
major urban area and you could find like a coffee shop yeah. that had it. You can, now go, you can, can get, get iced coffee. <laughs> now you can get it anywhere. Yeah. It's like no no one does iced coffee the no. old school way. The anymore. fancy coffee used to be remember French roast. Yeah. <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a French roast coffee? I don't even know what the hell that well, is. I remember I remember when I remember my parents would drink uh, you know, freeze dried coffee. Yeah, Folgers Crystals, yeah, exactly. Taster's Choice, just, Sanka. That's what they drank. Well the opposite of that is what we're going to talk about today as far as um, right. one of our sponsors of the show is uh, Speckled Axe Wood Roasted mm. Coffee in Portland, Maine, yep. which uh, is a great example of a style of coffee that once you sort of go there, it's hard to not notice the way that coffee tastes like you kind of. Yeah, it's when you really start drinking coffee black, not because you don't want sweetness or cream, but because you actually want to taste the coffee. Right. Uh, there's lots of nuance to it. Yep. Um, and Matt's been uh, making coffee in Portland for a long time. Uh, and really kind of was one of the first to really push the idea of it's not just about buying really great coffee, using great coffee, but it's about right. how you make the coffee. Right. Can, you know, you can, you can buy the best. It's like sushi. Like you can spend $3,000 on fish. Yep. But if you don't know how to cut it, yep. then you it's can. not going to taste any better than like mall sushi, yep. you know? So Speckled Axe, um, you can find them at speckledaxe.com. They are sort of one of the, like, as I said, one of the first ones in Portland really doing uh, very complex, very interesting coffees. Uh, if you want to find out for yourself, you can go to their website, speckledaxe.com. Uh, and because you're a listener of the show, you entered the promo code uh, Shaheen Loves IPA, which is uh, reminiscent of our last episode. <laughs> so Shaheen from Navarrez. So H-S-H-A-H-I-N-L-O-V-E-S. IPA, and you will get 30% off any order of $30 or more uh, on the web. That's so it's actually a, a very good deal. Yeah. I think. Uh, and it's got a really great, it's the best promo code ever. We That's like a, that. That is a great. And code. while you're there, uh, you know, if you're worried about, uh, you know, being comfortable, uh, one of our other sponsors is uh, Sinita, which is the original Danish clog. Uh, they were actually mm -hmm. making, they used to make, actually make Dansko. Back in the day, uh, yeah. and if you if you've been in the and the reason I even know about this and probably Joel does too is because you've been in the, any kind of restaurant business. You know, if I if I'd never worked in restaurants for twenty years, I yeah. probably would have no opinion on on clogs. Yeah, uh, even though I spent the last few years of my restaurant career wearing the most uncomfortable shoes, just because I thought <laughs> they looked good and my feet would feel like they were going to bleed every day, and that was the worst. <laughs> but I didn't care. Um, but Sanita, yes. So it, it's now sort of where Dansko kind of petered off and it's like sort of mass produced now kind of like you're like Cole Haan or something like yep, that yep. so it is still the real deal made to made to last people swear by it you know who work in kitchens yeah anybody I've talked to and I'm also amazed by how many people actually know because I didn't know about Sunita and I bring it up and people are like oh yeah definitely like I, I that's all I wear Ah. And I'm like, oh, like like Brianna Holt, who was on the show in yep. uh, episode four. No, She's like, I friggin' love Sunita's. Uh, and I didn't realize they had that kind of uh, following. So if you want to get yourself a pair, go to Sunita.com. S-A-N-I-T-A. All right, we are back uh, with our guest, Joel Beauchamp, <laughs> uh, professional pleasure engineer. Yes, uh, inventor, good. original inventor of the charm offensive. <laughs> <laughs> that is, does that sound or accurate enough? Or the offensive charm. The offensive charm. <laughs> the art of offending by charm. Uh, uh, we've uh, basically, I've spent the last um, 45 minutes calling uh, Joel out 
for being a fucking disaster. Yeah. Um, on <laughs> mostly on camera. Yeah. You know what? I'll tell I mean, even the stuff that hasn't been on camera, I've written about before, so it's yeah. already out there. I just yeah. like telling the story. Um, yeah. But that sort of narrative has is not really the way your life is uh, anymore and it's been a bit of a journey to get there but yeah. i wanted joel to talk a bit it's sort of a new thing i think a lot of people now know what ayahuasca is yeah i think people Definitely. are familiar i mean it's a pretty intense uh hallucinogen essentially but more yep. of a a ritual practice you used to have to go you know to south america essentially to yeah. to find it and participate in sort of a retreat yeah and it's just an incredibly in, intense experience that certainly isn't for, for everybody. Yeah. But you actually went and uh, you've you've done it twice now and it's sort of led to quite a awakening for yeah, you. Yeah, it changed my life. <laughs> you know, it was also timing, you know, but but yeah, I I was a dysfunctional alcoholic. I mean, I was I was barely functioning, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, I was. I had just got to a point where I was constantly like one step away from just, you know, losing it or at least it felt that way. But yeah, I had I had heard about it. I had had a friend who had uh, who had had sort of a life changing experience with it. And I had sort of witnessed that. And so I thought, you know, in my mind, it was like this was a last ditch effort. Like I had, you know, outside of making somebody commit me to. Uh, rehab yeah which I was doesn't like, necessarily work and i was afraid that it wouldn't work with me you know yeah. i'm just hiding from something yeah and, and i'm coming so, back and also know. i'm so good at telling therapists i can psychoanalyze myself and mm -hmm. everyone around me so precisely i can sit there and tell a therapist what they want to hear and they will be like wow he's fine oh, you now. really know your stuff but yeah. i just know how to get there so so my fear was that you know, even rehab wasn't going to be able to do this. I needed something that that would just like shake my system up or I mean, I didn't know what I needed. But I I, I researched, you know, aside from hearing my friend talk about his experience, I, I did a bunch of research and I just decided that that needed to happen. You know, a lot of people like my friend go to South America. I definitely entertain that idea and at, at one point you know that was sort of what the plan was going to be but then i had an opportunity to to do it in the united states and yeah i did it two different times a few months apart and uh, multiple nights each each experience but and had two very different experiences yes now i saw you after the first experience yeah uh, i had actually had sustained an injury uh and was right. essentially a wheelchair and you came to yeah. uh to see me and you were feeling really good about that first time yes and the first the first time you know i went into it i was i was convinced that everything all my issues hinged on my father and and the way he passed away and sort of what i wasn't able to you know, deal with before he died. And I, I sort of was like, if I can just deal with this, I'll be great. And so 
I went into that first experience weeks ahead. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you do the diet. Yes, I saw you. You were like not having salt. Yeah, I mean, was, you have to cut everything out. Yeah. Anything that could inhibit your system from absorbing that DMT and the ayahuasca. Kind of like when they're going to take the lemons in Wolf of Wall Street. Right. You know, right. Make sure the anima <laughs> and all that. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and when you when you have the experience yourself, the you know, when you when you actually have the experience you 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 don't eat like six hours or even more beforehand and you even stop drinking water a few hours before so there's nothing in your system well, it's almost like getting start. like a like a procedure i mean yeah. you do that if you're gonna get yeah you know certain yeah if you're having yeah. any sort of but yeah it was uh but the first the first experience i went into it with so much intention i was gonna deal with this thing with my dad i wanted to deal with my addiction stuff and that I was kind of going into that with that as a goal, too. But I was convinced that my addiction stuff was tied to my dad, which I would find out later was not necessarily the case. You know, there was some some right. somewhat. But it was a jumping off point. But sure. Yeah. You know, and, it, and a genetic sort of inclination. But yeah, so, that you know, I had that first experience, which was very euphoric. It was three nights or two nights, it was two nights. That for the first night, you know, was a little underwhelming. Yeah, what's the ceremony kind of very, like? Oh, very ceremonial. Yeah, done almost identically to the way that a tribe in, in the jungle, yeah, in, in Peru would do it, you know, the, or the mountains. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> very specific, you know, down to like the direction different colored flowers were pointing and, you know, and they administer doses. Yep. They handled everything yep. and uh, had spent a lot of time with one specific tribe over years and years. Now, did you get sick? A lot of people say you get sick. Um, You know, you do what's called purging, which, you know, you sort of puke up a little bit of like bile kind of, but you don't really have much in your system. It's more of a sort of physical manifestation of a mental purge. You need to purge something and it ends up, you know, just being something that manifests itself physically. And and I mean, the ayahuasca doesn't taste great. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's, you know, this weird, thick black liquid. <laughs> yeah. And you just sort of how do you take it? Yeah. You just drink it out of a little like, okay. shot glass, yep. yeah. you know, like a little cup. The, yeah. The first thing was a little underwhelming. I think I, you know, there's this expectation you have that it's going to yeah. be like just like instantaneous, yeah. like. Psh. But the second night. You know, the second night was, you know, mind blowing, just uh, hallucinations. And it's 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 a hard thing to talk about because the experience is in your mind. Yeah. And the minute you start reaching for words to explain something, it's almost like you don't have the right tools, you know. Right. It's, yeah, a, it's, it's almost it's hard. It's easy to feel it. But yes. And it's easy to talk about it in sort of you can apply like a like a plot line to it. Like, right. this is what happened, you know, but really yeah. that, that is a sort of blunt instrument to describe it as well. But yeah, I when I had spoken to you shortly after yeah. you had, had a very vivid recollection of what had happened. And I, and then, and and I a, still do yeah. in the sense that, uh, you know, talking about it to certain people and tell, kind of keeps it alive. And, you know, yeah. I remember, I remember less, but like, I remember, you know, snippets. I remember listening to you talk about it. And all I could think of was the Bjork video for human behavior. Human behavior. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, you know, there, I remember 
you know, I remember being in that room and I just remember being really happy. And, you know, I suddenly basically I I I came upon a rabbit who, you know, it's very Alice in Wonderland, but yeah. it came upon a rabbit that was like singing in a language that I didn't understand, although I could understand what the rabbit wanted me to do. And I followed the rabbit. I mean, <laughs> what, like you do, what are you like, you do? what do you just sit there and watch the rabbit go? And it's, and it's funny because the Alice in Wonderland thing never occurred to me. And even yeah. for days afterwards, until someone pointed out what now seems obvious. Yeah. But it, you know, it didn't seem, I remember being obsessed with Alice in Wonderland as a kid, you know, like a lot of people. And uh, but it never it never occurred to me until someone else pointed yeah, it out. Well, yeah. it, you know, the rabbit was different. It was changing color and it was, you know, but it basically took me on a multiple day journey. And you felt like you and I turned into days. a large animal and was yeah. bounding through like the Hobbit Shire. I mean, it was, you know, but my memories of that weekend are still days and days of travel. Yeah. You, and know? you were just sitting right there. And I was just sit, I was the whole thing probably took 45 minutes. And you were of me sitting in this room, but my memory of it was like two, three days and two nights. Yeah. And brought me to my father. I had this long conversation with like an idealized version of my dad. You know, he looked the same age he would be, but he had all his teeth and his skin was healthy and a big beard. And it was him. I spoke to him for what felt like hours. I said everything I wanted to say about how guilty I felt about not being able to do more for him while he was dying. And, you know, I just got all this stuff off my chest and he like heard it all and, you know, told me, you know, I mean, I'll paraphrase, you know, but not to worry. And yeah. he's happy now. And da, 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 da. you know, we also talked about like mundane stuff, but it was, you know, and then the rabbit like rang his little bell and was like, let's go. And I followed him back for another like day and a night. And then I was back in the room. And then then I continued to be aware of the rest of the ceremony. But yeah. And, you know, then maybe I fell asleep for like an hour or so. Yeah. You remember you described leaving there sort of being on euphoric. euphoric. I drove yeah. I, dro you know, I drove home. It was probably like an hour's drive the next morning, the next morning. And uh, <clears throat> I was. I'm, I had tears running out of my eyes, like the entire drive home, but like happiness, yeah. just like pure euphoric joy. Like, you know, I mean, if someone drove by me, they'd probably think I was a lunatic or, you know, or you just came from an ayahuasca. Center. Yeah. But I mean, I was just, <laughs> yeah. but I was just, I felt, I felt relieved. I felt like this huge relief. And I, I, traveled shortly thereafter by myself to Uruguay for a few weeks and just sort of rode this high of, you know, feeling, but it's funny, even in Uruguay, like the booze sort of slowly snuck back in, you know, I was traveling by myself and you let your guard down and yeah. It's and like letting your guard down. It's more just and, like, well, yeah, and I was like, well, I'm in Uruguay yeah, and, and I'm feeling better now. So I'm not going to drink destructively yeah. and it's going to be fine. And I didn't, and right. I was able to have like a couple of glasses of wine here or a couple there. And it wasn't a big deal. Which tends to kind of set up that sense of, Oh, yeah. everything's fine. I just, yeah. you know, I yeah. just see, I yeah. just drank wine yeah. like a regular person. Yeah. And while <laughs> I was in Uruguay, I sort of had another opportunity to do I was presented with another opportunity to do the ayahuasca in February. And uh, 
And I did. Yeah. And uh, this one I sort of approached in a very nonchalant way. I still did the diet and everything, but I might not have hewn right. as you were less. I mean, you it. were probably less apprehensive. Yeah. And, and, and I was yeah. kind of like, you know, I I had sort of I foolish, foolishly was like, I feel great now. Everything's kind of fixed. As as it got closer and closer to that day, it be you know, I found myself struggling more and more with the same old addiction shit, drinking, drugs, da 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 da, like the inclination to do that. But I still sort of went into this ayahuasca thing being like, what's even gonna happen? Like, and uh, you know, that one was three nights. And the first two nights were, you know, the first night was sort of nothing happened or not much. Second night, I had some like pleasant visual stuff, but there was there was some weird feeling, you know, and the third night was just like absolute hell. (laughs) It was like the worst case scenario stuff where you're sort of like forced to relive like your darkest moments. You're forced to like you're forced to, you know, just see the absolute worst and sort of. You know, I basically had to In watch the darkest corners. Of I had mind. to watch the worst, worst parts of my life my, from, you know, from formative, traumatic childhood stuff, abuse, you know, and I the abuse in question that sort of started it all off was like two and a half years that I was at this private Christian school as a child. Mm-hmm. And I had to relive like all of it, two and a half years worth, all condensed into this eight hour night. And then from there, it took me through all the lowest moments of my entire life. Like, and at a certain point in the evening, I just was like, I just have to get through this. I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't stop seeing it. It's too late now. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in it and I just had to survive. Then I made it home after that and was in, had like almost PTSD from it. Yeah. I mean, I saw you. Not long after that, you came to Montreal. Yeah. Um, and in March, we all went to Montreal. Yeah. And you, I mean, you were like, you know, on the surface, you were fine. Yeah. But you were still, like, when we were alone, you were like, I'm still just it was, a it, mess from this. Yeah, it was, it was tough. And it was, it ripped open, you know, this, this place that I had pushed all these memories and all this stuff. And I knew it was all there, but I could contain it in this thing. And I could go through my day without having to think about it or whatever. Because deep down, I knew where it was, and it was in there. And this ayahuasca, the second experience, just blew the lid off that. There was no way I could put it back. So every every minute I was awake, it was just like bombarded with all these memories. Yeah. And, you know, I understood fairly soon after that, that this, that you know, all these memories, that experience from my childhood was where all this shit came from. And, you know, I made a decision that I was going to face it all. I got a therapist or I had been seeing one and I got in touch with him again. I told him exactly what had happened. And I started just talking about this stuff in detail, just like every memory I could grab, like which meant going back to that night, you know, of doing that ayahuasca and really sort of looking at the way it showed me everything. And once I started doing that, and once I started being able to like think back on that, 
it kind of um I kind of realized that the way it showed it to me, the way that it presented everything to me, the way I experienced seeing all that stuff again that night, you know, in that was the ability, it was almost like I was given this blueprint, part of the whole, it's hard to describe, but part of the whole hallucination that night was, was a sort of almost a visual map sort of timeline of my life, not like a straight line, but like this weird, almost like a kind of map you'd see in Lord of the Rings or something. Right. This, well, what you would actually would picture your life map looking like. Right, right. Not, not a straight, straight line, line, but right. just like meandering all over the place. And, you know, the more I sort of kept revisiting because of the therapy and talking about everything the way, I, because I kept revisiting that night, I was able to just kind of I, I realized at a certain point that the ayahuasca had had given me a way to reprogram my brain. It had shown me how these, you know, this early experience had sort of bled throughout my life into every bad decision I had made. It had sort of shown me how, you know, I had I had developed this defense system as a young kid that did not help me once I got into the real world. Right. Well, it's you know? a very, which is just it's a very methodical, pushing it down. Right. Methodical path to yep. the, to addiction, yeah. essentially to and I mean, and as keep a result, those walls up. Yeah. And as a result, as a kid, I became like an amazing liar, an amazing, like everything's okay. An incredible actor, you know, I, because I had to, you know, I couldn't let on what was going on. So, and which is, you know, it's, <laughs> to tell to, to you know to be 44 years old and then or 43 and then to finally you know be able to see how i you know how this thing was the cause of all these things in my life that you know that were just it, the the entire experience itself set in motion you know this reckoning with my whole life and uh you know, it was one of the worst nights of my life, but it's given way to the best time of my entire life, the happiest I've ever been, you know. And you were just finally at one point, you would sort of describe to me when it finally all of that took hold. Like you were you yeah. seemed you disappeared for a while. Yeah. Um and it was like that. Memorial Day weekend. I can remember when it happened. And, you know, I think it was like the final step was like talking about it to a, a couple people close to me. I had sort of started feeling so isolated and cut off from everybody because nobody knew what was really going on in my head. And, uh, and then, you know, as soon as I opened up to like a couple, a handful of people, it was like a, a switch flicked. And I mean, the urge to drink just disappeared. Like disappeared. <laughs> yeah. I woke up the Tuesday after Memorial Day, May of this year, and my life was totally different from that day on. It was like, you know, and and I saw I that was the first time I used this sort of like weird map I got visually where I was able to like see, you know, I was able to see, I was able to like trace the urge to drink, trace that back. 
I was and somehow seeing it all and understanding getting it, the perspective on it was what you needed. Disabled yeah. the whole right. thing. And as soon as right. I realized that I could do that, I started, I was like, I tackled smoking cigarettes. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this with cigarettes. And it's just I can't even describe in words how I do it now. But it's a tool that was given to me by that experience, yeah. that ayahuasca. And experience. it's only gonna get it's only you're only gonna develop and hone it further. It's almost like the whole Eckhart, yeah. Eckhart Tolle when he's saying, you know, that you render the ego completely powerless yep. once you expose it for what it is. Yes. Or the you know, the, the pain body. Yep. Uh and that's that's what it once you like these, yeah, you know, I am not my thoughts. Yep. <laughs> You know, these are these are thoughts. This is an experience that happened. I have to accept rather than right. You know, I think I think the whole impetus behind excessive consumption of any drug or mm -hmm. you know drink is basically usually to to kill time to make it so you don't have to think about right. It's a distraction. It's a distraction, <laughs> exactly. And it can be sex. It can be food. Sure. Uh, it could be all of the above. It from, was, yeah. You know, I, mean, I mean, for me, it was, yeah. you know, it was a number of things that were all tied together, you know, sex, drugs, you know. All these things that are kind of low frequency distractions, things that make you feel good for a split second. Yep. Or, you know, 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're back to just, you know, despising your existence again. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. The whole experience also absolved me of guilt. I mean, I, you know, before any of this happened, you know, I would think about the list of like, sh you know, sh times I had gotten too fucked up. You can dwell, the shit you dwell on that shit. And, and it just like the guilt and the, yeah. you know, feeling so horrible and. Well, your first inclination is I deserve to fucking right. drink myself into a but fucking stupor now, because now yeah. I can revisit my lowest, lowest, lowest moments. Yeah. Like moments it can't get worse if, than that. Moments that if I talked about it now, people would be like, no. I mean, just low moments, but I have I, you know, because of this experience, I have no guilt about it now. It doesn't make me feel horrible. It, I look back now on those memories and I feel bad. I mean, I feel pity or yeah. empathy. That's the word. Right. I feel empathy for me at that time. Yeah. And you don't let it cripple you. Yeah. In the current and state. It also is because I feel like I'm no longer that person. Or at least that, you know, the thing that was driving that version of me is gone now. Yeah, I've literally never seen somebody change as much as I've watched you change in the space of what you were yeah. just, you know, in that memorial day. I, mean, it was like it, it, I was, it was ready. Crazy. I wanted to. I, I, I saw where my life was going and I was like, I, I cannot let this happen. You know, the ayahuasca brought me to a certain point, but if I hadn't picked up the baton and like gone from there and like gone to see a therapist and really faced all this stuff and talked about it and, you know, was also honest with the people around me. Like, this is what I've been going through. This is what, you know. Yeah, when like I said, when you when you talk to me, you're like, I am truly, babe, I am I am truly happy. Yeah. But the most important thing is you're like, babe, don't worry. I still hate everybody. <laughs> don't worry. Well, and that's the thing. I'm I not think, going anywhere. Yeah. It's still me. It's still me. And the thing is, I still, you know, I another thing that has happened that adds to the fact that it was life changing is that I seriously struggled with depression and anxiety, like big time, and have forever. And it's gone now. 
like my overwhelming sense of depression and, you know, this anxiety, these panic attacks where I have to like focus on my breathing and feel like I'm being suffocated, gone. Like as of Memorial Day weekend, like with the urge to drink, gone. For months, I kept waiting for it to like kick back in, like just kidding, you know, yeah. but it's gone. But I still get stressed out about stuff. I still well, get course. annoyed. I still get angry. Yeah. You I get still anxious, get but it's not that kind of anxiety. No. That's a special kind of anxiety that doesn't happen. Anymore. Yeah. And I'm able to let go of stuff, even anger. I get pissed mm-hmm. off, but I'm able to let go of it in record time. I mean, <laughs> I think it's just further proof that you do not need religion to be saved. No, it's true. <laughs> At all. It's true. It is true. I mean, doing ayahuasca, I can see that if somebody, you know, the only way it's technically legal in the United States is a sect of Brazilian Christianity where they uh, where they take ayahuasca as part of their religion and they all see Jesus. And the thing is, if that's what you believe and that's what you go into this experience, you We'll probably see Jesus. Yeah. If my mom did ayahuasca, like Jesus, <laughs> white Jesus yeah. would show up. <laughs> white Jesus, thank wash God. Wash her motherfucking feet. <laughs> turn her Welch's grape juice into like some Light up some a Marlboro Red, pour himself an Allen's and milk. And, <laughs> you know, like, here you go. Here, uh, here Jesus, you go, Jesus Dia. is here. Uh, <laughs> you saved Dia. Jesus saves you, Dia. That's uh, all right. You got a light, Dia? You got a light for Jesus, Dia? Thank you, dear. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't. Ayahuasca changed my life, and there are, you know, I don't think it's the only. It's not the only way to to get to where. Not I'm at all, and I, and I think it's and it's not for everybody. I mean, for like, instance, like I would, I'm honestly, I mean, very apprehensive about it. Uh, but I weirdly, I, I want to, but at the same time, like, you know, like for instance, like they're like, oh, well, you're on certain medications that you could die yeah, yeah, you <laughs> if you mix, yeah. you know, uh, so it's like, I literally, and which I still may do. I mean, I'd have to essentially spend like six months sort of training yes. my body to yep. do the ayahuasca. And I think by the end of that six months, I'd probably be like, well, actually, I'm fine now anyway. Yeah, you'd <laughs> so, probably be fine. Oh, good. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, but I think, you know, for me, I had all but given up. Like, I had sort of, if if somebody hooked me up to a lie detector and was like, where do you see yourself in five years? Like, I'd have Death. a hard time. Yeah. Dead or just like. A derelict. <sighs> yes. You know, I mean, I really, I was afraid that that's where I was going and that I, you know, and I mean, this ayahuasca was my last ditch and I'm, I'm forever grateful to it. And I still feel it. I still feel the effects of it, you know, just in the way I think yeah. about things and the way I see stuff. And that's the way, a lasting, it's a change. lasting change. And it's like, I don't have the urge to do it again. No, I, mean, I might yeah. one day. Right. You know, but right now, I well, it, it's powerful stuff. It's yeah. not something to be no. You know, it's it's not it's a certainly re- not a recreational it's, it's drug. Not a recreational drug. <laughs> right. It's it's funny to me when I hear about people like doing it at a oh, yoga studio man. in Brooklyn with like sixty yeah. people. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, what a horrible way to like yeah just do, do something regular acid. Fun. You don't need to just get regular acid get like some, a normal person. Yeah, let's get some mushrooms. Get mushrooms if you want to go more mm. natural. You know, whatever. There's, we have differing opinions. I mean, acid was more of a high school thing. Yeah. But, yeah. You know. 
acid. And uh, you know what? I, I, I've decided that uh, in this episode, we're going to go ahead and we're going to break our habit of talking about McDonald's. By talking about McDonald's, <laughs> and saying we're not going to talk about McDonald's because McDonald's has nothing to do with any of this no. until they start serving ayahuasca at McDonald's. <laughs> right. Which, <laughs> in which case, you know, you know, you, you know da, 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 da. I the last thing I want it. is the last I don't prefer, I don't the prefer last thing it. I want is a Ronald McDonald uh, DMT trip. I'll tell you that much. You, right you know, now. Ronald McDonald would make an excellent shot. Grimace. Grimace is oh the my one God. who bothers Grimace me. Grimace is, I think Grimace all, is made of ayahuasca. What is Grimace? Grimace, this is a, see, is this he is a, a topic. Drop? Is he a like. Grimace is a shape. He's an amoeba. He's an amoeba. He's, He's like, like the blob. <laughs> In a way, the blob. <laughs> do you remember a the blob, blob or the blob? He's the blob. <laughs> okay, he's he's a blob that is also the, the blob. blob. He's he an amoebus blob. Yeah, uh, who he loves rubber. cheeseburgers rather than <laughs> um, devouring human beings. Right. You know? I think our trip to France could be summed up by Roxette. Really, I mean, yes. the whole thing was basically like Joel. You know, does does she have the look? Is she's that got, the look? She's got a look. She has a look. You know who had <laughs> the look is Ooh. our dominatrix cab driver. That's right. We had Champagne. our... Yeah. We she had, had the look. She had the look. She had the look. She had that, like, Lady Gaga on the cover of the second album that I didn't really like, but I like the cover where, she yeah. makes, where she's, like, morphing into a motorcycle. Yes. Why yes. is she doing that? Well, because she was born that way, Joe. <laughs> she was... You know what? I'm going to end it right... <laughs> I'm ending it right there. She was born that way. Joe was born that way. I was born this way. Oh, there we go. And I want to thank Joel Beauchamp for joining us yes. on the Food Coma podcast. Um... Thank that you. was an amazing journey yeah. that you took us on. Thank you so much. <laughs> of course. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I also want to thank our sponsors, Speckled Axe. Yes. Wood Roasted Coffee. Go for the Ethiopia Misty Valley. It's delicious. Uh, go online to speckledaxe.com, enter promo code SHAHEENLOVESIPA, and get 30% off uh, any web order over $30. Uh, and also, if you're in the restaurant business or just somebody who loves a clogging around, uh, make sure you go to sanita.com, S-A-N-I-T-A, uh, and get yourself a pair of the original Danish. Do it up. This has been the Food Coma Podcast. Podcast.